Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury, I'll be joined by Clarkie and Steve Saber. And as always, we've got a great special guest on the program, award-winning TV and longtime Raptors basketball producer, Dan Gladman, will join us to talk about Fred coming back. We'll talk about some of the replacements they've added to the roster and what the state of the team is going forward. We'll also talk a little bit about Vlad Jr. dropping some pounds, making Clarkie happy. And of course, uh, a couple notable deaths in the sports world that we will touch on in Fred Saskamoose and Diego Maradona. And as always, we'll be joined by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports, brought to you as always by CoolBet.co. I am Ryan Drury. That is Clarky. That is Steve Sabrin. And the Raptors making noise. Fred finally signs. They've got some replacements in for some outgoing bodies. And to talk about all that and more, we're pleased to be joined by Dan Gladman. Dan's an award-winning sports TV producer. He's done work on the NBA, the MLS, the CEBL. He's also a media teacher at the School of Sports Media. And he hosts a great podcast called Gym Rats and Joints. Dan, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Just getting through these final days of 2020, hoping for the best in the new year. Absolutely. I think we're all on board with that. And uh, the Toronto Raptors definitely on board with that is good news for Raps fans. Fred is staying put, signs an $85 million contract to remain a Raptor, the only franchise he's ever known. Um, Just bringing Fred back, you know, after you watch Ibaka and Marc Gasol leave, how much did bringing Fred back really become even more important with those departures? And what's he going to continue to bring to the Raptors? Well, it, it was super important for the franchise on the court and off the court. Um, I think his his game speaks for itself. He's just getting better and better. It does leave you with a, a, a kind of a small backcourt uh, with him and Lowry, but you do have to wonder how, how much longer Lowry has to go. And really, the keys to the franchise have pretty much been handed to Van Vliet and Siakam. But I think it's way more important for the fan base and this burgeoning growth of basketball in Toronto, in Ontario, in Canada. Um, You know, Fred Van Vliet is going to be the star of the team for at least the next four years. Um, He he was a bench player heading into the NBA Finals in 2019. He ended up starting the second halves of every game, which is not something you see every day in the NBA, which showed you his ascension uh, to – you know, his importance on the team. And really now, you know, it's, it's him and Siakam. You're kind of, you've kind of made the decision to ride or die with those two. Um, I think that the loss of the other two guys doesn't sting as much knowing that Van Vliet is still in the fold. And and I think the, the franchise knew that Masai Ujiri knew it. And that's why they made that move. Hey, Dan, what did you think of Gasol's comments when he made it to the Lakers saying that he just didn't see an opportunity to win with the Raptors? Is he right? Is his team on the way down, or do they still have a chance? You know, it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow, but I don't think the Raptors are in contention for the title anymore uh, with the roster as, as currently made up. And to be perfectly honest, at least in my opinion, they only were in the one year with Kawhi Leonard. You know, we, we've seen it time again in the NBA. We saw it with the Raptors. Unless you have that A-plus, super elite stud player to just throw the ball to and, and make a basket or hit a miracle shot at the end of the game, um, you're, you, 
you're good, and the Raptors are going to be competitive. They'll probably win 50. Well, it's a 72-game season, so what's a good benchmark? Maybe 42 wins in a, in a 40, 45 wins in a 72-game season. They will do that, but they don't have that guy who you can just throw the ball to and get a basket in a close game in the playoffs when the d- defenders are playing um, so much harder than in the regular season. So to answer your question, I would say Marcus Gasol, you know, he, he's not a dummy. He's a super intellectual uh, person and athlete, and he wants to. he's had the taste of winning a championship. He wants to win more. The Lakers are the defending champs. LeBron's there. Anthony Davis is there. They're putting together an even better um, depth chart than what they had in the championship year. And you, unfortunately for Toronto fans, you have to agree with what Gasol had to say. You know, it's interesting because you've got Ibaka um, going to L.A. as well, but uh, the, the other side uh, with the Clippers. Um, how short does that leave them in the middle? Because they look to be, uh, uh, they've signed some players, but not to the caliber that Gasol and Ibaka brought to the floor. Well, look, Gasol and Ibaka were huge factors in the championship season and in the season that just passed when they won a ton of games and pushed a a Boston team that probably had more talent to a a seventh game in uh, in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Uh, You have some new players in, in Alex Len and Aaron Baines who bring you some size and some toughness, and I do think that that's going to be important. Um, especially as you see the caliber of teams increasing in the Eastern Conference. And I say that with an addendum to it, which is the teams in the East are getting a little more finesse. And I think a bit of toughness might serve the Raptors well. Um, Do I think Baines and Len um, really have much of a... I don't think they add up to Gasol and Ibaka, especially the way Ibaka played the last couple of years. But to to be fair, you know, Gasol can say the Raptors aren't uh, a possible championship contender. We can say Gasol has lost his fastball, and while he's can still contribute, he can't really give you too many minutes effectively a game. So it's a different look. I don't think the new players are nearly as good. Um, you're not going to see. 17, 19, 20 points uh, from from either Baines or Len that you, you would get from Ibaka on certain nights. I don't think you'll get the defensive acumen or leadership, um, but you are getting a couple of, of bodies who you can throw in there, get some fouls, mix it up, and get tough with opponents. You know, when Kevin Durant wants to go to the basket and you're playing Brooklyn in, in a first or second round playoff series, these guys aren't are going to make it a little, they're going to make him remember what it's like to go there. Dan, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, the notion of you need that one big stud player. They had that with Kawhi, and we've seen teams that win the NBA title all the time have at least one, most of the time, two big studs. Looking ahead to 2021, obviously there's been a lot of talk made about Giannis. Would he consider coming to Toronto? Masai and him are close. Is is that a factor? In your mind, do you think Giannis will end up leaving and coming somewhere like Toronto, or is that too much of a pipe dream for you the the words i've been using for Giannis to toronto are pipe dream i i I can't i just can't look at it any other way and you know not to throw the raptors fans under the bus i i used to be one of the biggest ones um there is a, a a fantasy world 
where the fans think that players are coming here in free agency when we just haven't seen it. Yes, guys resign. That happens, and that's cool. But for someone to up and leave, to destroy his relationship with the Milwaukee Bucks and with the ownership there and the team there, it would really have to be an enticing offer, an offer he couldn't refuse. And that's why I think that if you were doing the Giannis free agency power rankings, I still have Milwaukee as his first choice. It's the most money. He's not a guy who necessarily craves the spotlight. And it looks like the team is is bending over backwards to please him and keep him there. That said, if he chose to leave, why wouldn't he go to one of the L.A. teams or even Golden State? I mean, they're, they're, I, don't, I, I don't know offhand who's going to have room to sign that kind of money, but I can tell you those teams are so rich, they don't care. They'll go over the cap. They will pay the luxury tax to have a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo there. And on top of that, if he was going to leave Milwaukee and stay in the East, I think Miami is is more of a draw for him. I mean, can you imagine Giannis and Jimmy Butler, not to mention Tyler Hero and some of the young talent on the Heat? Um, I, I just think there's too many good offers out there for Giannis. The Raptors are, are on the way down from being a championship team. And I just don't think the fact that he has a, a shared heritage and a wonderful relationship with Masai Ujiri to be a reason to, to come to Toronto. Dan, how good does Nick Nurse have to be now? You mentioned it earlier with a superstar, it's a little different. Um, are we really going to see what kind of coach Nick Nurse is, or is he a proven excellent coach in this league? What do you think? I think he's a proven excellent coach. Um, I'm a huge fan of Nick Nurse. He paid his dues along the way to become a head coach. But it's one thing to say he paid his dues, but he also clearly learned his lessons. Um, he made his mistakes. He picked things up along the way. Um, I love his outside-the-box thinking. I think the players respect him, love him, uh, like playing for them. And that's because I, I believe that the players who've played for him, and this isn't just the Raptors, this would go back to the G League, to the British Basketball League, where he was a head coach. I think the players believe he helps make them better. And just that belief system and the fact that players are willing uh, to play for him and, and listen to what he says and apply it to their games, um, I think it makes him a strong coach. I think his in-game decision-making, um, I think he's not afraid to roll the dice. I think he will take chances and he will try things that 99% of the other coaches in the league maybe think of, but sure as hell would not even consider doing in an NBA game, let alone a playoff game, let alone the finals. You know, when, when Nick Nurse went to the the box in one or the triangle in two uh, in the in the 19 finals on, on Steph Curry, you know, I'm, I'm someone who grew up watching college basketball, high school basketball, and that's where, you know, that's the kind of thing where you would see that, quote, junk defense. The fact that he would try it in the NBA – alone is legendary and tells me and especially the players that he's willing to to try anything to to give his team an edge um i think he's an excellent coach and i think he will continue to prove it for the next 10 12 15 years hey dan let's go back to that championship run you're a guy who produced every raptor game for uh, i don't know how many years 10 years 
10 years. And I'm taught every game. Uh, didn't matter if it was on TSN or Sportsnet. Dan Gladman was the producer of the show. Um, and you know what? That run, that championship run was something obviously I dreamed of when I was involved with the team with the Leaf side. Um, you probably have the ring. I don't really want to see it because I'll, be, I'll get too jealous. But what was that run like? I mean, Clark, you, you know me. We worked together for probably 15 years there. Mm -hmm. um, you know how passionate I am about basketball, about the NBA. And for the 18 years I worked for the Raptors, um, you know, they were number one, two, three in my life, for, for better or worse. Um, that run was a magical time, obviously for the team, obviously for the country. But if you're asking in terms of my personal experience, it was the best of times and it was the best of times. I mean, the, going in to do the games was an absolute pleasure. Being in San Francisco for a week during the NBA Finals and going, going to work in Oakland was beyond a dream come true. I mean, watching Metallica rehearse the anthem at four o'clock local time um, and celebrating with the team and people in the organization after they won, um, you know, game seven against Philadelphia, the, the Kawhi shot, just a dream come true. But I, I'll remember that day always because earlier in the day, it was Mother's Day, and I drove up. Uh, my family was having brunch, and I drove up, surprised my mom for five minutes, and then zipped down to uh, Scotiabank Arena for the game. So, honestly, and it even started in Orlando. When, when the whole contingent got to Orlando um, for games three and four in the first round, uh, there was a party just for all the traveling Toronto people there, and there was just a, a group and a family mentality throughout that whole two-month run, and I will remember it and cherish uh, those memories as long as I live. And I'll Such show a you special time for sure. And yeah, we, we definitely want to see the ring at, at some point. Uh, sorry, Clarky. Um, Dan, uh, we're chatting with award-winning TV and longtime Raptors producer Dan Gladman. Dan, uh, we brought up Pascal a little earlier in the conversation, and he is, you know, you keyed in on him and Fred is kind of the building blocks now going forward. How concerned are you that what happened to him in this year's playoffs and really down the stretch of the season, he was not very good. He started off really well. He wasn't very good in the latter part of the season either. How concerned are you that that might carry into next season? And what can we realistically expect out of Pascal? Because he looked like he was on a level in that run to the championship where he could potentially be a big time star player. Then you see the polar opposite almost in last year's playoffs. Where is the quote unquote middle ground with Pascal? Are you concerned about him? I'm not concerned about Pascal Siakam in the least. Um, I think he has years of production ahead of him. All-star appearances. Um, do I acknowledge he struggled in the playoffs? Absolutely. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the best player on the floor. He had already overachieved. He's already overachieved so much. You know, he was a late first round draft pick. He was overlooked. You know, you don't expect a guy picked 26th or whatever it was to be in the all-star game, to be maybe your second best player in the NBA finals. I think what I just said there, though, was is the key word, second best. Um. I think he's a wonderful basketball player. Do I put him on the level with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic? Of course not. And I think it's unfair 
for anyone to expect him to be at that level. What happens in the playoffs? The teams play defense a lot harder, and they key in on the other team's primary offensive weapon. Siakam was brilliant in the championship run because he was number two. He was Robin to Kawhi Leonard's Batman. And all of a sudden, one year later, he's expected to be the number one and lead them to the championship again. I thought it was amazing they got as far as they did. Um, they do have a team concept, and I love that about how the Toronto Raptors play. But if Pascal Siakam is your best player and your primary scorer, you're going to win a lot of games, but you're not going to win the NBA championship. Do I think he was a little uncomfortable in the bubble setting? Yes, I do. We saw it from some other players. Paul George, um, a perennial all-star, seemed very uncomfortable um, in the bubble, away from home. Who knows what kind of access or contact to, to family members, to significant others that, that weren't in their life at, at that crucial time. Um, I think Siakam has proven year after year that he improves in the offseason, like DeMar DeRozan used to do when he was with the Raptors. I think he will come back better than ever in this regular season, and he there's no reason he wouldn't be top 15 in the NBA in scoring. And in the next round of the play, you know, the next time the playoffs come up, I'm sure he will have learned his lessons and know what he needs to do to be better. Uh, Dan, let's shift from on the court to off the court. You mentioned about going to games uh, and it was a pleasure to do so on that championship run. What does the team and the league have to do to make it a pleasure to welcome fans back once they are able to get into arenas? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think that when the fans start coming back, you want to... A, give them what they're used to, um, exciting basketball, stars, superstars, um, and really competitive games. That's, that's the basketball aspect of it, and that's what everyone's going to be um, expecting. I do think that maybe they'll have to do a little bit more, though. And, you know, that's something that everyone could put their heads together collectively and maybe offer find ways to offer a little bit more value or bang for your buck. Um, you know, maybe more basketball. You know, why not have kind of a, a doubleheader a couple times a month? Like maybe a, a Friday night doubleheader like they used to do traditionally in basketball. You know, maybe not an NBA game, but maybe we in, in some areas you start really pumping up lower levels, college basketball. Um, high school basketball. The, these are things that have never been big, for instance, in Toronto. And I think it would be really cool or interesting, you know, if the game's at 7.30, why not have a, a high school game at 5.30 and offer that up and, and see who, who wants to be a part of it and see if you can develop stars at the amateur level and really um, stimulate the growth of basketball in the city, the province, and the country. Um, it, it's not something that I've, I've thought a lot about, um, but there, there's all kinds of things they've done. The NBA did it in the 80s when the sport was relatively flat, and if you didn't have Magic Johnson or Larry Bird playing or Dominique Wilkins, it was, it was kind of boring, but they found ways. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's with music. You know, the, the Raptors have a house DJ. Um, he's amazing. Maybe you bring in a band as well. I, I remember the New York Knicks one season had uh, 
Robert Randolph's band play every Friday night. And, you know, it just adds to the, the entertainment value of what you're there for. Um, but, I, you know, in the spirit of your question, I think there there are going to have to be some things they do. But at the same time, people are so desperate to get back to watch these live sporting events that I don't know if there's going to be that much demand for it. I think people just want to watch sports and get back to normalcy. Yeah, I agree, Dan. And like you said, that'd be an interesting thing for the Raptors to do. There's so many great bands from Toronto. I would sign off on the Arkells or Alexis on Fire playing. That, that would be amazing. How about Fish, Dan? Yeah. Like, well, I, I want to get Madison Square Garden so many times, Clarky, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Dude, hey, I, I've been, I was watching the uh, Cowboys Redskins, the Thanksgiving game, Clarky. Every commercial to break, you don't know this, but I do. Every commercial to break, they're bumping with Fish or Grateful Dead. I can't really? keep my eyes off it. Yes. There Nobody knows the songs, but I do. Yeah, I've, I've been told prior to this by Clarky that you're a giant fish head. I've been to, can't believe we're going to talk about this. Amazing. We're, I've been to 60 fish concerts since 1990. Oh, 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 oh. 60? And in, in fact, um, when live concerts and events come back, my dream, my real pipe dream would be to go to an entire fish tour for a summer, maybe 20 or 30 shows city by city. See, I've been I've I've been to eleven Lionel Richie concerts, and I thought that was big. But you love holy. Lionel Richie too, like holy. That, I've but, seen my favorite band nine times, and exactly. like holy under oath, um, oh. that's incredible. Lionel Richie is and the Commodores are one of the few bands that Fish hasn't covered. I mean, really, part, part of their act is they'll play a song by anybody. It could be a bluegrass song by Bill Monroe. It could be A Day in the Life by uh, the Beatles. I've heard them play Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Like, they'll just dish out anything. You never know what's coming. That's that's part of the beauty of the show and why people repeatedly go because they never do anything the same way twice. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, I'm very familiar with Fish. I Like, I wouldn't count myself as a 60 <laughs> concert super fan. But, like, uh, some people that don't know them, like, they have a diehard fan base. You mentioned, like, they play Madison Square Garden. Like, they're a big deal. And all of them are incredible musicians. That's uh, 60. That's something, oh, man. They, I, I, was there, I was there New Year's Eve. I was so glad, too, because it was some of the last shows they've been able to play. Exactly. Man, if anybody from Fish's management team or whatever hears this, like they got to send you some <laughs> swag or something, man. Are you like kidding? 60 is nothing. You're oh, an amateur if you haven't been to 100 and the like the platinum number is 300. Oh, Dan, have, Dan, have you any have you ever figured out how much money you've spent in those 60 concerts? Well, there, there's sometimes you make the money back while you're there. I mean, people sell stuff. <laughs> Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> every every cent I've spent going to fish concerts has been the best money I've ever spent. All no right. That's all that matters, man. That's tremendous. It's a great, um, time. It's a great time. Dan, I want to ask you, uh, shifting gears outside of the Raptors organization, you, you know, we're talking about different ways that the NBA could kind of buff up the entertainment. One thing that they've always been lauded for entertainment-wise is their offseason. It's always chaotic. There's always something going on. What do you make of the enigma that is James Harden? Because now, after being in Houston his whole career, 
getting to a conference final, can't get over the hump. You know, Westbrook comes over, still can't do it. Now he wants out, apparently, and he wants to go to New York or some people saying Brooklyn, he's not going to fit there. What do you make of this? Like, is he actually going to leave Houston and should he? Well, it's it's the sign of this new generation of players. And to be fair, LeBron James started this in 2010 when he went to Miami. And that was the beginning of players shaping the rosters that they're on. Um, and it really hasn't changed in, in that decade. You know, Harden in Houston, it's worked and it hasn't worked. Um, he's one of the most skilled offensive players in the league, but he's still not at the level of Durant and LeBron. And he just, he can't win it. Sometimes you wonder if... Um, he doesn't play as well in the sandbox. You, you mentioned Westbrook. They brought in Chris Paul. That didn't work. Now, Chris Paul did get injured, um, and they lost a game seven to Golden State, at the, their best chance to get to the finals. But the fact of the matter is they never got past Golden State, um, and now they're clearly heading down. Uh, Mike D'Antoni's gone. He was the coach, the architect that made that offensive system fly. And I can understand why Harden wants to get other. He wants to, he doesn't want to be, you know, Charles Barkley or one of these guys who had an amazing career but didn't win the championship. So Brooklyn is the obvious place where he wants to go. He played with Durant. Uh, they were both young players at Oklahoma City Thunder. They got to the finals. Um, I think it was it maybe 2011. And I can understand why he wants to do that, how he can turn down the fit, becoming the first 50 million a year player in the NBA. That I can't understand, but there's, you know, it, there is chaos there. It's not working for the Rockets. The West is getting better. You know, the, the Warriors lost Clay Thompson again for the year, but they're still really good. The Lakers are better. The Clippers are getting better. Denver's on the come up. And right now, if, if you are power ranking the West, Houston, as presently constructed, at best looks like fifth in the West. So, of course, he, he wants to get out get out of that difficult conference, get to the East where maybe it's a little easier, especially get on a team that has, you know, if not the best player, the second best player in basketball, and that's Kevin Durant. Dan, we really appreciate you doing this. Go crank up some fish and ride out the last days of this crappy year. Hopefully the NBA coming back on the 22nd will uh, definitely spark some joy in basketball fans. Dan Gladman, thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks, guys. Great chatting with you. All right, thanks to our friend Dan Gladman. We'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. When we come back, lots to talk about, including Clarkie's favorite baseball player, Vlad Guerrero Jr., slimming down. We'll talk about that and more next here on MWO Sports. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Sabrin still along for the ride with you here. And guys, plenty to talk about in sports. Let's shift our focus over to hockey, where we got some news from the local junior leagues that we cover here, the GOJHL and the PJHL. Some new tentative start dates. Um, let's start with the GOJHL Junior B Loop. They are planning to start January 15th. Basically, they put out an extensive release saying that uh, January 15th is their go date. It's their preferred date to try and squish together a 
25-ish game season. They'll have the regular season ending in late March with the Sutherland Cup, the 87th Sutherland Cup, to be awarded no later than early June. Um, There's a bunch of modified rules as well. They're going to play a modified five-on-five. They're not going to go to three-on-three, guys, but no body checking whatsoever, no intentional contact, whatever that means, and there won't be any post-whistle scrums or fights or anything like that. It'll be a penalty, I assume. Um, Just some of your thoughts, Steve. Let's start with you. We've covered the league extensively for a number of years now. What's your impression of it? Do you think they're going to even play, and what's your impression of the rules? Uh, Well, let's start uh, with with the rules only because – it may not even be a factor, but it, it's going to be tough. It, it's going to be very tough um, to play the game, um, especially when you're dealing with this age group, um, not to mention that your body and, and mind has been trained so long to do it a certain way. Um, and who do you leave to call intentional? Um, so you're not going to be able to shove the guy out from in front of the net. Um, you, you're not going to be able to go into the corner and pin a guy to the boards to steal the puck. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of um, – it, it's, it's going to drive coaches nuts because there's going to be a lot of wand waving and guys are going to break away with speed. Like uh, and, unless you stop, you know, the, the, the race car on the track, there's going to be a lot of uh, – uh, a lot of stick handling and, and uh, dipsy doodling. Um, but the biggest factor is the January 15th start date. Uh, the leagues, the teams need permission from medical officers of health to move from region to region. The regions are defined by the health unit. So, for example, in order for Listowel, Stratford, or St. Mary's to accept a team from outside of Huron, Perth, the MOH has to sign off on that. With everything that's going on now, I'd be hard pressed to believe that a medical officer of health is going to sit there and start approving things um, as they are. Um, I mean, everything's going on an uptrend, nothing's coming down. And I know there's some time, but from what we've seen in other countries and what's going on, in fact, today, Saskatchewan put a hold on other team sports um, because of what's going on with COVID. And there was a lot of accolades about how, oh, the West is getting their team sports going and look at what they're doing. They've come to a complete stop. Um, so, you know, it's going January 15th is still going to be a very, very tight deadline. Guys, I give them all the credit in the world. They're trying to make this work. They're they're looking at ways to make it work. Uh, will the hockey be the same? Absolutely not. Um, you're right, Steve, the coaches will like there, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty wide open out there. There's going to be a lot of goal scoring in my mind. The goalies aren't going to be happy, but at the end of the day, we talked about it earlier with, um, Dan Gladman talking about Giannis coming to the Toronto Raptors and the word used was a pipe dream. I honestly think this is a pipe dream. I'm sorry, but they're not going to get this under control by January 15th or February 1st. Um, any like It's not going to happen in my mind. I hate to say it. I, it's going to get worse before it gets better. There is a light. We can see it at the end of the tunnel. There's a vaccine coming, and it's going to make it a lot better. But, Steve, I'm worried about you and I playing squash in the next month and a half. Like I honestly think things are in trouble, um, and they need to really lock it down, and not only like crossing counties, but I just don't see it happening. As much as I would love to go over and watch a Cyclones game, that's 
literally like a three minute walk from me. I don't, I just cannot see it happening. Well, the other factor too, that, I mean, you have to, with players, um, you've got to billet them. Well, yeah. all the suggestions about household and staying within your household and all this, how do you billet somebody who's not from your household, who may want to go and visit somebody or, or the case may be, then you got the university factors of everybody going yeah. to, Here's first, yeah. go to university in Guelph. You play yeah. in Cambridge. You're traveling to wherever. Yeah. Like and, and, and Steve, a lot of the billets are older people, right? Who probably don't want, I mean, no one wants to get COVID, but like, you know, vulnerable community, you know, the older people, they are. So I, I agree. It, it, it's, I, I just can't, I, I can't see it. And we've talked with NHL uh, people before when they played in the bubble. Um, in Toronto, Edmonton. I mean, they have stated it wasn't the same. It was not the game as the game. So, I mean, I know everybody's hungry, but would you yeah. have, would, would 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 you like a cookie now, or would you like the whole cookie jar later when we can get things going and 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 uh, back to some sort of regular schedule? Um, but it's going to take time. Going to take time. Yeah, it is. I, I should mention part of their proposal here, and Steve, you brought up, uh, and, and you're right, that they need the permission from the medical officers of health from each region to go and play in that region if they're going to be changing counties or municipalities, if you will. Um, part of the plan is to have a segmented bracket set up within the three conferences, of course, uh, the GOJHL, 24 teams, eight teams in three conferences. Basically what they'll do is they'll set it up where you only play one opponent over a two or three-ish week period. So you could play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and play the same opponent Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six, seven, maybe even eight times if you mix a, a weekday in, which I doubt they'll do. It'll this will probably have to be mostly weekend games, uh, so that you're only traveling or receiving one opponent over a long stretch. Then there will be a quarantine period. Then you'll switch and play another opponent. So it, it's highly likely you're only going to end up playing three or four opponents. Oh, and and count up your points and see who gets in. Yeah, and that's and that's a tough setup too. And you got to remember with the GOJHL Midwest, you're 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 crossing three health units. Yeah, Bramford down to the south. Um, I you know it's it's a lot of logistics. It's and you know everybody wants wants to go, um, but I mean it's it's not looking too good right now. Um, and the other thing too, like giving the Sutherland Cup away in June, like. I, that's municipalities running ice pads don't keep their ice in that long. So now we've got to ask councils for extension to keep the ice in. Like, how is that going to go with cost and, and everything like that? So it, yeah. so many factors um, that are involved. Um, and, and and you look at the junior players out in, uh, in Alberta. They've had to pause Team Candace camp because of uh, players uh, testing positive. I'd like to know the entire story there, and I'm sorry I don't know it, but it doesn't sound like they did it right here. They didn't quarantine these guys and have a bubble and not let them out. They just got together and started playing and practicing. Um, at least that's what it looked like to me. I don't understand that, and now they've had to pause for two weeks. Mm -hmm. <sighs> 
Yeah, it's a whole thing out there. That's a whole other situation that could, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, overstep or go over the line here, but, you know, potentially puts the World Juniors in jeopardy. Who knows? Uh, can tell you as well, we have exclusive news from the PJHL. They had a board of directors meeting on Wednesday night of this week and voted to start the season February 1st. Now, February, with all the factors we already just mentioned with the GOJHL should confirm that they did not say um, our sources with the PJHL whether they were going through a bunch of different rule changes as well. They've got a lot of stuff to sort out. They've got a little over two months to do it. Um, again, highly unlikely that they play. I, I, I just can't see it happening, unfortunately. Um, good on them to try and put some sort of organizational setup together. Um, we don't have any other details at the time with the PGHL, but we can tell you February 1st is their launch date, their ideal launch date. They can't push it back any further than that, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, guys. Brian, uh, you take a look at that date, February 1st. I mean, the beginning of February is usually when they start their playoffs. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, PGHL playoffs are the longest within the Ontario Junior Hockey playoff run when you look at the number of teams. Because you got to remember, uh, the GOJHL doesn't get into a, their playoff run until mid to late February. Um, they don't have as uh, many series to go through. In the PGHL, and the, when you look at the Pollock division, um, you play your quarters, your semis, your finals, then you've got to go through two more series to uh, to, to to get through, and it's longer travel, right? Oh yeah, weekend. It's a weekend setup. The GOJHL, you have you 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 have um, a shorter time span because you can plug a lot of games during the week. Once you get out of conference in the PGHL, it becomes a weekend only because of the amount of travel that is needed. Um, so. You know, that in itself is going to be a very, very condensed schedule. And even in the release uh, from Commissioner Terry Whiteside, which has uh, been posted, um, details regarding schedules and playoff formats have been reviewed and will be decided closer to the projected start date. So to me is, yeah, they got some ideas kicking around, but they're not going to say anything until they get past the Christmas break into mid-January to see where they even are at that point. Yeah, it's it's tough. And again, we've talked about it a lot over the last month and a bit, trying to keep everybody informed. We know our listeners want to know this stuff. And here's the latest update. And I don't, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers here. We just, I just can't see this happening. Uh, let's quickly talk on a couple of sports notes. Vlad Guerrero Jr. trimming down. Yeah, he there has, he is. He's lost 40 pounds, apparently. Apparently, he's lost 40 pounds. They were posting pictures of him on Twitter this week. Like, he looks like he's lost a lot of weight, which is great news, Clarky. Well, sure, it is good news if he has actually lost the weight. Now, do you guys remember about this time last year when we saw him skipping rope and it looked like he had lost 50 pounds? Well, uh, it didn't really show when he put his uniform on. He was up to 280. I think they that said was the rumor that they, that they said 280. That's too big. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's too big. You know, um, let's hope. Because he he didn't have a good year. Like his, no, he, he didn't, didn't have a good year defensively for sure. They screwed around with moving him over to first base, and uh, he didn't have not a good year at all. And he struggled at the plate. And this guy was touted as the next big gun in the major leagues, 
And there's got to be a reason for it. There has to be a reason for it. I think he's lost some bat speed. I think he well, he's obviously gained a lot of weight. If he's taken it off and he continues to do so, Rob Longley in the Toronto Sun this week had a story that he's lost, you're right, 40 pounds. Good. He needs to lose probably another 20 or so and, uh, and then come back and, and hit the ball hard. And I'd like to get Adam Bell on one day and talk to him about it because Adam was adamant about not – it didn't matter how big he was. He could still hit the ball. Well – he was big and he didn't hit the ball. So, well, we'll see, we'll see right? It's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Apparently, I, I read somewhere the goal is to get him under two thirty five, and I, I think that you know at his size and and his frame, two thirty five is probably enough. It's probably a good weight. Um, Want to talk quickly just on a couple notes? Some uh, some tragic passing away in the sports world. Fred Saskamoose, uh, who was the first Indigenous player in NHL history, passing away. Um, did a lot of great work for Indigenous communities, Indigenous uh, exposure in the sports world. World. So sad to lose Fred Saskamoose. And, and of course, uh, Clarkie's favorite sport, soccer, was hit hard the other day. Diego Maradona, arguably, and I will endorse this, arguably the greatest player in soccer history, passing away at the age of 60. Uh, everyone, if you know about Diego, uh, was an incredible player. He pr- pretty much single-handedly won Argentina the World Cup in 1986. If you want to see a and, highlight. And being the key word there, Nespa. Well, yes, yes, the hand of God goal. You can look that up. But if you're going to look that up, look at the goal he scored 10 minutes later after that, the goal of the century, FIFA named it. So uh, Diego had a lot of problems with cocaine. It was well documented. Everyone knew he was in slightly poor health back home, but uh, tragic to lose Diego Maradona at the age of 60. Uh, And Argentina actually announced three days of national mourning. Uh, The whole country is shut down right now. That's how big of a deal this guy was. If you were to equate Maradona to a hockey terms, he would be there a rocket Richard. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. He, or or the, the Babe Ruth of, of soccer. Uh, in, absolutely. That's bang on for sure. He inspired Messi and many generations to come. Sad to lose Maradona and Fred Saskamoose. All right. We'll take another quick break here on MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. When we come back, our wagering expert, our buddy Chris Abbott, to talk about the NFL and some gambling news for Canada. We'll talk about that next here on MWO Sports. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to wrap things up here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Sabrin, and we are joined as always at the end of the show by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Chris, how are you, bud? I'm doing pretty good. I um, I'm getting ready for the weekend after. Um, what was a really good early slate on Thanksgiving Thursday and not so good in the night game where the Cowboys, um, we thought they might be turning the corner a little bit. Never happened. Yeah, they uh, they got bossed around by the Washington football team in uh, Detroit. Boy, they uh, looked a little in tough against Houston. That's for sure. Let's look ahead to Sunday's games. Big, big tilt uh, in the AFC South. This is a massive game. Probably the biggest one in terms of implications for the division on the weekend. Titans, Colts. Who's going to come out on top in this one? Tell me about it. I looked and couldn't believe that both of these teams are seven and three. Like that was the surprising thing to me. Like I've, I've not been overly impressed by either team this season. And now you've got an AFC South where Houston seems to be coming on. And these two teams are both seven and three. So really, really interesting. Um, 
I tend to lean toward the underdog in games like this, where there's so much on the line, like the the division title. A lot of times, you can throw throw um, this. Uh, you know, what am I trying to say here? You can throw out the spread in games like this because it really does come down to who wants it more, oftentimes. And, and there's not a huge disparity between these teams. So when I am betting the spread in these types of games, I tend to go with the underdog because if they win, great. And if not, you've got a good chance of it being a close game decided by a field goal or so. And uh, the Titans are catching a few points here. So I think that's the, that's the way I tend to go there. I agree. It's going to be a great game. Let's look ahead to another one. The best rivalry in football over the last 15, 20 years, in my opinion. Raven Steelers, it's always must-see TV. Yeah, and I was really looking forward to it. It was such a great spot for this game on Thursday night, and now it's just devolved into this uh, this COVID fest, and we're not even totally sure if Baltimore is going to be good to go on the weekend. And uh, You know, they moved from prime time to an afternoon game, but I think putting all that aside and, and back to talking about, you know, divisional games, I, I like the, the home team and, and the favorite in this game because I think the Steelers are that much better than Baltimore right now. And, and that's before we start talking about the fact that Baltimore may not have a running game here. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure put on Lamar Jackson. And we've talked about it uh, plenty of times on this show that his receiving options aren't all that great. Uh, I, I said I don't call Hollywood Brown Hollywood Brown anymore. He's just Marquise, plain old Marquise. Like, there's nothing Hollywood about him. He just drops the ball. So until he uh, earns that moniker back, he's uh, he, he's he's gone. So it's basically going to be Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews against the unbeaten Steelers. So give me the Steelers on the spread inside a touchdown uh, all day here. Yeah, he's L.A. Valley Brown now, if anything. He is, his downturn's been disappointing. Real quick as well, old guard versus the new guard. Tom Brady versus Pat Mahomes, Bucks Chiefs. Can the Chiefs lay down a beating on the Bucks, or is Tom going to hold his own? Well, when you said old guard against new guard, I was thinking Kyler Murray against Cam Newton, kind of like the original mobile quarterback of the new guy. But uh, that that one is going to be a great game, the Chiefs and the Bucks. I, I like the Chiefs here. They're about a field goal uh, favorite as we're talking here right now. And this Tampa team continually shoots itself in the foot. Tom was looking a little bit sour. The only one thing I caution for here is that generally when we see Brady have a bad outing, he comes back and lights it up. Um, against anyone else, I might expect it. Against the KC team in what is a marquee game on the schedule, I'm going I'm to go with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs here. I have a lot of favorites this week, and, and uh, this is one of them. Yeah, it's pretty hard to bet against Pat Mahomes. Uh, let's talk quickly about some news. Uh, federal government really starting to get behind support for legalized single game betting across Canada. Of course, we all know that Ontario has been enjoying this luxury for a very long time. But tell us a little bit about what this could do for the industry. Obviously, casinos are struggling with COVID. What could this potentially mean? Uh, you know, it's really interesting because uh, in the latest news that came out, we saw basically they just want to change one line of uh, legislation, which would allow for single game betting. So when you say it that way, I don't see it changing that much. I think you might see some of the bigger casinos build a little sports book. You know, you might see the, the Caesars and Windsor put a sports book in. You might even see Woodbine put one in or Rama um, and some places around the country, obviously, too. But I, I don't think it affects the way things are going all that much because from what I've seen, it's still going to be a, a provincial government, uh, provincial government, excuse me, monopoly and outside uh, operators who are not licensed inside Canada, but take action from inside Canada. 
from what I can tell, we'll still be able to because there's not going to be, from what I've seen so far, any sort of uh, opportunity to fall in line with regulations or any regulations to, to fall in line with. It seems like they're really just pushing ahead for this single game thing. Um, the difference what we saw in the United States is that you have a whole lot of independent operators getting licensed by the state um, and paying taxes to the state where in Canada, the, the state, the province, owns the uh, owns a monopoly to, to regulate a gaming. So I don't presume they'll be taking applications to, to lose business. Uh, so it remains to be seen. It, it would be a win for the provincial government lottery. Uh, but I don't know that it would change everything all that much. Uh, I stand to be corrected, and, and we'll see. Well, it'll be certainly interesting. And of course, we will just continue using CoolBet because what other service would you want to use anyway, correct? And that is why he is our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. And uh, we appreciate their sponsorship of this show. Speaking of this show, you can find it on all the best podcast apps. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at MWO underscore sports. We're on Facebook as well. We will be coming to YouTube starting with our show next week. So you'll be able to watch us on YouTube. We're very excited excited about that to uh, get some more viewers there and of course uh, Friday nights at 8 Sunday nights at 9 with our friends on Whiteman TV you can watch the show there as well I am Ryan Drury that is Clarky. that is Steve Sabrin he is our wagering expert Chris Abbott from CoolBet we appreciate our friend Dan Glabin for joining us earlier to talk about the Raptors we hope all of our American friends are enjoying Thanksgiving enjoy the football games this week You've been listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co.